welcome to this episode of Insufficient Facts. For the best listening experience, we recommend joining us on our website at insufficientfacts.com, where you can follow along with our notes and sources throughout the episode. There, you can also submit questions to the panelists about the episode by clicking on Ask the Panelists. Today's episode of Insufficient Facts is brought to you by All In My Head, an audio drama about Nova, a young woman suffering from sleep paralysis. As she tries to get to the bottom of her condition, she discovers there may be more to the monsters in her dreams than she thinks. Stick around at the end of the episode for a sneak peek of the show. Welcome back, everyone. You're here with us today for Insufficient Facts, our science-based podcast. Thank you for joining us again today. We're glad to have you back if you're a returning listener, if you're a first-time listener. Well, you've picked a wonderful episode to start listening. I hope you enjoy it and you go back and listen to some of our previous episodes after listening to this one because we've got great content for you, some really interesting stuff. So today, as usual, you are with Christiane. Raquel. And Kyle. So what is our topic of the day? This one is a fascinating one, and it might actually change the way you think about how you think. Um, we're going to talk <laughs> about memory today and, and some of the science around memory and how we store memories and, and what impacts memory storage. You know, we're these flesh bags full of protein, yeah. but we manage to <laughs> keep a lot in our heads. So like, how are we doing that? And what could be potential purposes for that? Right. Why Why? Why do I need to remember, you know, Pythagorean's theorem <laughs> 10 years after high school? I don't know. But somehow here I am. So as usual, we're going to um, take you through our normal uh, topics today. Uh, we're going to share a recent headline um, about memory science, um, mm-hmm. kind of the science of memory storage and how to forget a bad one, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to transition into our science fiction science fact topic, where I'm going to lead you through some great examples of how science fiction has picked up on this idea of false memories or erasing memories permanently and um, really taking that theme and run with it and, you know, kind of what they get right and what they get wrong or why it's, it's a really interesting use of, of this topic in science fiction. And then um, we're going to go into our bizarre science segment Ooh. with Raquel, and she's going to tell you about false memories and, and the science behind them and, yeah. and that, you know, can we have false memories, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is amazing and, and scary to think about, which yeah. is why it's in our Bizarre Science segment. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have Kyle walk us through our Classics segment, where he's going to talk to you about how do we store memories and where are they being stored and why do we store them the way that we do. Um, if you've never thought about it, well, hopefully it'll get you thinking about it today because yeah. it's a really important part of our lives, right? Yeah. So much depends on this that... But it's really something that maybe you haven't thought of on the day today. So yeah. we'll kind of jog your, your brains a little bit today and get you thinking about memory. Yeah. So our recent headline is talking about if you need to forget a memory. So if you need to forget one, let's say something that you'd really just rather not remember, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, usually a bad memory. Yeah. Um, how? What are some tactics that have been proven to really help replace that memory or disassociate the negative feelings with that memory with maybe something a little bit more positive. Yeah. So that is a definitely a future direction of the research mm-hmm. that's talked about in this article. Yeah. So this article was uh, published November 7th of this year in Forbes magazine. And what they talk about here is a study that they did with rats where they did something called a novel object 
task. Mm -hmm. And basically, you take the animal, you expose it to object A, you let them play with it. Rats are like humans. They like new things, Mm -hmm. new shiny things. Right. A novel object is something they've never encountered before. And then you expose them to a different object, object B, and you let them play around with that for a while. And then what the scientists did in order to explore whether or not a competing memory could out-compete another memory is they took the animal, exposed them back to object A Mm -hmm. with a novel object. Mm -hmm. What happens is they recognize that, oh, I've seen object A before. Mm -hmm. Boring. I'm going to go with a novel object. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play around with that. And Mm -hmm. it's funny doing these experiments. You can give the rats like a toy car. You can give them a little piece of a cardboard. (laughs) Whatever is novel to them, they're going to play around with it. Right. So if they're presented with something they've seen before and something they haven't seen before, they're going to go look at the thing they haven't seen before because that's more interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they did that for a number of times. And then what they would do is bring the animal back to showing them the object B with another novel object. Mm -hmm. Now, if the animal remembered object B, Mm -hmm. They would spend more time with the novel object. Mm -hmm. But in this case, after all of those exposures with object A and It had been a while since they'd seen object B. Yeah. yeah, They spend equal amounts of time with object B and this novel object, Mm -hmm. meaning they forgot it. Right. Which is fascinating and highly relevant to conditions such as PTSD, Mm -hmm. where you have one memory that is really strong and associated with really a lot of sensory information. Yes. And this provides a potential way to use a different memory to dampen the other. Right. So it's having a lot of new experiences and new exposure to other things and and maybe like changing the associations with objects or or kind of muting the actual remembrance of the thing. Yeah. So, you know, very initial studies, but this is a very active area uh, of research is like, you know, how are these memories being stored? Why in some ways do we have such different reactions, like bodily, like visceral reactions mm-hmm. to certain memories versus yeah. other things? We're like, yeah, that was, you know, a thing that happened and, you know, I'm glad it happened or whatever. You don't necessarily have a really strong emotional response to other memories. So this is all kind of part of the studying of how these memories are stored and if how they're stored impacts your response to them or if we can change the associations with memories and and that kind of emotional response. So definitely really critical research to being done that needs to be done so that we can better understand what exactly is going on with the way we store our memories. But now I think we should move on to our science fiction, science facts segment. And in this segment, I'm going to talk to you about this uh, this idea that has really been picked up on by in science fiction of of false memories and having false memories implanted. Mm. And like, how does that change, you know, your perception of yourself if you realize you've had these false memories planted in your brain? Or what if you have a memory that you you want to forget? And yeah. would you, you know, if you could forget it, what, you know, how would that change who you are? So I think this is a really interesting topic that's, you know, obviously the science isn't really there that we're like, can implant memories into our own brains and have these whole other experiences. But um, the idea of this has really been taken up by science fiction in an amazing way. So there's two things that I want to bring to your attention. And I'll need to give some spoiler alerts for these because I'm going to just kind of talk about the plots of them. Um, But I'm going to be talking about Total Recall and the wonderful movie Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, So if you haven't seen either of those, just... 
there might be some spoilery stuff. Just skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So go to our, our <laughs> Till You Hear Our Bizarre Science segment intro. So Total Recall, uh, originally with Arnold Schwarzenegger, based on a book by Philip K. Dick, who is a, a really well-known um, science fiction author. Um, the short story that he wrote that this is based on is called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. So... If you're interested in reading the short story, that's that's what it was called. But essentially, um, Douglas Quaid is this uh, where the the false memories come in. Is Douglas Quaid is the main character, and he's living a pretty average life. You know, he has a beautiful wife and a home in the future, and you know things are pretty normal. Um, but he keeps having these weird dreams about this woman, this mysterious woman, and he doesn't know who she is, and she seems to be on Mars. So this really starts to bother him. So he decides that he's going to go to the recall facility, which is a company that can give you implant memories into your brain to basically give you the experience without actually having experienced it yourself, right? So he... Is it like a brain VR? <laughs> yes, yeah, but you really feel as if you've experienced it, wow. even though you yeah. you haven't, right? Yeah. So he has these memories of a trip to Mars. Um, you know, he wants to get this trip to Mars uh, experience, but he obviously doesn't have the, can't afford an actual trip to Mars. So he has this memory of a trip to Mars implanted in his head. And in the implant, the memory implantation process, they basically uncover these suppressed memories that um, had Ooh. been suppressed previously that he had no idea about. And it turns out that he had actually been uh, like a secret an agent, a spy, and that these suppressed memories were of his other life as a spy that he had no idea about because they had been suppressed, essentially. And wow. so he then has to go through. It's a very action-packed movie. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, there's a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting baddies. And, and you know, he becomes a spy. And it turns out his wife is not actually his wife, but she was just there to, like, monitor him. And all of his friends were secretly working for the, you know, the bad guys. And the lady that he'd been dreaming about uh, on Mars was a real woman that oh. he had met uh, in his life as, a, as a secret agent, yeah. right? So... He has to kind of combat with this idea that, well, there was a whole part of my life that I didn't yeah. even know was a thing. And all these these aspects of my life that I'd kind of taken as as standard and as fact were a total fabrication, right? He had insufficient facts. He did not have all the facts. He was lacking many so of the facts. couldn't remember them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, you know, struggles with that and fights the baddies and gets the girl at the end. And there's, you know fighting against gravity and all sorts of things that happen. So it's a really interesting um, concept, though, right, that that are, that are kind of picked up on in science fiction. And even though the science isn't there yet, um, I think the wonderful thing that I've always enjoyed about science fiction is taking this little nugget of an, a scientific idea and really running with it to see, like, if this became something that was in our everyday lives, how would that impact us? How, yeah. like, what what scenarios could arise from that, right? So this is things that, like, Star Trek was well known for is, like, what would the future be like if this kind of technology was possible? And so they kind of anticipate some of the things that end up being, you know, happening with technological developments or scientific advancements. So the other mo movie that I think really does this phenomenally well is, um, and kind of is the the alternative to having false memories implanted is what if you want memories erased, right? So this is kind of the premise of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, um, which is a movie starring Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. 
I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's not as intense, like action-packed science yeah. fiction as Total Recall. Um, it is a little bit more of a, what I call like subtler science fiction. So it the premise is that um, Kate Winslet's character Clementine and Jim Carrey's character Joel um, have been in a relationship, right? They've been lovers, they've been partners for a while, and it just hasn't been working for a while. It's become painful to the yeah. point of it's just not working. And eventually um, Clementine comes to the decision that she is going to have her all of her memories of their relationship erased. Relatable. <laughs> totally relatable. Yeah. But, but this is tough. Yeah, it's tough. Right. It's like it's such a thing because it's it's just like, you know, so let me let me explain. Jim Carrey's pretty bummed out here. It's yeah, because right, this is this is someone you've grown to love and experience so much with, especially if it's like been a long-term committed relationship. And, you know, at the point that at that point that means that for Clementine, it's too difficult. The memories are too painful that the bad outweighs the good and she'd rather just forget the whole thing. So yeah. she gets her brain erased, or at least the memory of the relationship yeah. erased. Yeah, so there's this, this service that people can ba- basically pay for where you can have selectively have certain memories erased. So in this case, she opts to have their her memories of their relationship completely erased. And this really, Jim Carrey's character, Joel, this is really hard on him, this news, because it means that their relationship wasn't worth you know, in the end, the it wasn't worth keeping. It wasn't worth remembering that kind of stuff. Yeah. It was she'd rather forget it. So he kind of is, has all this turmoil about, you know, her decision. And then he decides to go through the same process himself. He's like, well, if she's forgetting about it. I don't know if I really want to remember the fact that I had this relationship and she no longer remembers about yeah. it. So I'm just going to have the same thing done. And then neither of us will remember about this relationship. So. That's kind of the premise of the movie is is he basically you see him forgetting their relationship from the more recent um, time together when it was difficult and they were arguing and things were not working too well to all the way to the the origin of their their love story in Montauk. (laughs) If you've seen the movie, (laughs) Montauk is the crux of it all. Um, And the end of this movie, I'm not going to say it. But it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen it, you should definitely go watch it. Right. And if you don't want spoilers, I would quickly skip ahead now because I'm <laughs> going to talk about some of what kind of what ends up happening. But so they, they you know, the, the question that I think this movie really brings forward is if you could have memories of an entire relationship that was a long term committed relationship, if you could erase all of those, like how much of that experience actually fostered your personality or like how who you are as a person today like if you forget these really crucial points of growing as a human being does that change who you are now to who you were before like are you better now would you rather keep those experiences even if they were painful because they were part of cultivating you and you learned a lot and grew a lot as a person through yeah. this this process so I, and, and it's a, just a beautiful, a beautiful movie. But you see the their relationship and, you know, why they fell in love and the fact that they were in love. And he tries to as you know, here's we get into spoiler Terry, but he tries to kind of cling on to some of those earliest memories of their relationship. He tries to kind of hide them away and associate them with other memories that had nothing to do with their relationship mm. so that they won't erase his memory of his love for her and like how they initially met. Yeah. But they they get even that at the end. Um and what ends up happening is is there's a disgruntled employee of the in company of the company who ends up stealing all of the records and releasing them to all of the clients of this company. So they all kind of 
at the whistleblower. Yeah, basically. So at the end, they all are like, "Whoa! I didn't even know." I had a whole the whole memory of my relationship erased. Like it says here that I had all of these memories erased, but I don't even remember that. Yeah. And so they both kind of meet up again um, in Montauk, and they they decide they realize that they had had one point had a relationship together, even though neither of them remember it. And it had been painful enough that they had both decided to have it erased, but they decide to try again and see if maybe this time. You know, they know that there's that spark. They know that there's something happened. There was a reason that they loved each other in the first place. So they decide, like, maybe this time it'll be different. And they decide to give it another go, which I think this is this is a great example of science fiction taking this concept, this sciencey concept, and really using it to address the morality, uh, the humanity behind it, and how much of us is impacted by, you know, our memories. So I highly recommend both those movies. Um Go check them out. Um, there's not. I, I. There's not. This is really more science fictiony um, than science fact. So yeah. you know, the the fact of it is, we can't implant memories into our own brains in, in this way or erase them in this yeah. way. But um, I'm going to let Raquel in our bizarre science segment kind of tell you um, the idea, the, the research that is currently being done about like false memories and can you implant false memories or what's the deal with memories that aren't yours. So. I'll let her kind of lead this one. We hope you're enjoying today's episode of Insufficient Facts. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about or a follow-up question to any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, insufficientfacts.com, and click on Ask the Panelists. You can submit your question, and we may discuss it on a future episode of the show. Now, please enjoy the rest of the episode. So Raquel, what what bizarre memory science do you have for us today? So this is one of my favorite groups of studies since I've become exposed to work on memory research. And exactly how memory works is still a mystery, but we do have some clues about that. So what we do suspect or what the scientific community has agreed upon is that memories don't exist inside single cells. Like as a human your memories are very complex. And a single memory, like where I left my keys this morning, mm-hmm. that's not, that doesn't exist in a single neuron in no. your brain. That's a whole connection. They think, Network. Yes, memories exist in networks of cells acting together. So what scientists call this is memory engrams. And that's the theory that memories are stored with specific cellular characteristics, meaning whatever proteins are inside those cells, mm-hmm. whatever electrical activity those cells have. Mm-hmm. And they can be localized and identified in different parts of the brain. And that Kyle's going to touch on a little bit how the different regions of the brain store different types of memory. Mm-hmm. So it may be that memories are stored amongst networks, Instead of cells, that's what the general understanding is. Mm-hmm. So you so can't got just these, yeah implant a cell and have a totally new net memory. Exactly, you you've got to have a network. Yes, memory engram. So what scientists did with this, a group out of MIT did a series of studies, and they showed that you could not only identify identify memory engrams, and this is in rodents, not mm-hmm. in humans, right. But you could implant memories into a mouse's <laughs> brain by so, stimulating the engram. Not is a humans, huge deal. but mice. Yeah, a yeah. vertebrate, a bony thing has had 
research done where they have figured out how to implant implant a memory. Yes, so bizarre. Perfect for the segment. Yes. (laughs) So they. I hope they name this mouse Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if they did. We're gonna eat a melon and ask. (laughs) But yeah, so they were able to deliberately alter a memory engram, and I don't want to say up until this point, but memory engrams are they were still considered. We don't know if they actually exist. So part of why the study was such a big deal is because they were able to identify one mm-hmm. and also use it to create a false memory. Mm-hmm. So what they did first, I'm going to walk through the experiment. I'm going to take you on a, mm-hmm. a journey here. First, they implanted fibers that would transmit later laser light into cells that would be genetically altered to respond to light pulses. Oof, okay, yeah. so that's some real like un- bionic mouse <laughs> stuff. Unpack that, yeah. Okay. Your your brain cells don't naturally by themselves respond to, to light. light. They yeah. have to have some sort of mechanism in them that allows them to do that. Mm-hmm. And so they inject a substance that will create that protein mm-hmm. that allows them to respond to light when they have a lot of activity. And then the optic fibers, they are what you can use to manipulate their activity by exposing them to different light. All right. So these are like like fiber optic cables or things. Yeah. They're basically cables, like little filaments that um, when exposed to light, they can kind of transmit some kind of signal down the, the fiber pathway and, and activate yep. The cells. Activity, yeah, cells. Mm-hmm. So instead of just having to like shock them or like stimulate it with electrical impulse, they can have a little cable that they flash with a light signal light. and that will... Yep send a signal down. Mm-hmm. So what they did with this, that's all to set up the background of mm-hmm. the study they did, the behavioral study that they did. So they place the mouse in a box. They let it sniff around and explore. They make a memory of that location. Nothing bad happened to them there. So right. they remember that this is safe. Mm-hmm. This is context A. Yes. Then they place the mouse in a different box that has cues to let them know that it is different. Mm-hmm. And the clever thing that they did was they used the optic fibers and the chemicals that they had injected into the brain. And in this new box, they activated the memory of the first location. So it's a new ex- place. Like, they, the first place, they were like, they got the chance to explore. Mm-hmm. They're like, this is, I like this place. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can relax here. It's yeah. not, nothing dangerous. Then they were thrown in a whole new environment that mm-hmm. had was significantly different so that the animal could tell it was... A different place, mm-hmm. and then they basically activated those little light cables, yep. and they were like, "Just associate this new place mm-hmm. with the same associations you had with that safe first place." Yep. And in this new place, they exposed them to a brief shock, Aww. so they realized, "Oh wait, maybe I don't like this location." Mm-hmm. And then what they do? So if the animal associates the memory of if they remember that the first place is safe, mm-hmm. they won't. When they get put back in there, they won't freeze. Right. We measure they should response, be comfortable. Yeah, to to fearful contexts by whether or not they freeze up mm-hmm. and they get a little scared. So they put the animal back in the original box where they never they were safe in there. Right. And they freeze. Right. So what the show here is that they were able to associate a safe place with a fearful experience by activating that memory in a different location. Right. So they activated the same part of the brain at the same time that the animal was exposed to a painful experience. Mm -hmm. So now it is like placed back in that 
the original place where it should have had a safe, comfortable atmosphere, but because the part of its brain that was associated with that area, Mm -hmm. the safe area originally had also been exposed to a shock, now it is having basically negative associations with that place, despite never having received any kind of negative shock in that place A. Yep. If that makes sense. Hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> if you got it, I, I think. Our yeah, I hopefully got it too. Go. But yeah. good place, good associations, bad place. But you thinking about the good place. While and you're then in you're the bad a, place. And you yeah. get a shock and then you're thrown yeah. back in the good place and yeah. you're like, uh, I'm remembering bad things. Yeah. It's really fascinating and a extremely clever experiment. Oh, I gotta yeah. hand it to them for mm-hmm. that. So since then, that group has, sorry guys, <clears throat> that group has gone on to show that you can stimulate these memory engrams and reverse memory loss in rodent models of Alzheimer's disease. Oh. So there's the potential that if we can continue to understand these mechanisms, it could someday be applicable to treating human conditions. And, you know, considering that we've put men on the moon, I would say sky's the limit, but it's not. (laughs) We can take this as far as the knowledge can take us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I really loved this experiment. I hope you guys liked learning about it. But I'm going to let Kyle take it away now with the classics as he teaches us about those different brain regions. and Right. So how do, we, how do we even store memories? I mean, like, obviously there's areas of the brain that are associated with certain memories, but what do we even know about how we're storing memories in yeah. the first place? Right. And this whole field goes so deep, but I just want to highlight two <laughs> ways that we can... Inception deep? Inception deep. <laughs> and the brain is so complicated for just what we envision as a pink lump is actually has many different parts of it. And each one of those parts plays a very different role and they interact with each other in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to highlight um, how the different types of memory are stored and what happens if they go wrong. And so uh, to begin with, I want you to imagine a really wonderful memory. Maybe mm-hmm. it's getting ice cream with your mom and dad one summer. Do you right. remember the cold, chunky, chocolatey, rocky road in a crunchy waffle cone? I'm snuggled up with my dog mm. on the couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think of a different memory. Maybe you remember your uncle's house all smelling like honeyed ham on Thanksgiving and the musty, wired hair terrier mm. he had. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Terriers. Another <laughs> one. Your first kiss. Your palms were sweaty. Your heart was in your throat. You were listening to Fleetwood Mac. Thunder on the This sounds raining. really personal. Wait a minute. This wasn't my experience. <laughs> Not only can you remember these cherished moments, you can probably feel all these memories. Yeah. But what about bad memories? Well, we have the same brain for processing these great memories and these bad memories. Mm-hmm. The thing happens like ice cream and your brain timestamps it and puts it away for long-term storage, mm-hmm. just like Jim Carrey's character in Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Yes. That mm-hmm. thing happened, it happened then. He can go back to it and experience it as it happened then. Mm-hmm. And so this timestamping happens in a part of your brain called the hippocampus. It's a seahorse-shaped little part of your brain. Mm-hmm. And um, it says, I got ice cream in August when I was like nine. And <laughs> um, and then, but there's also this other part of your brain, an almond-shaped part that's responsible for the emotional part of that memory. Mm-hmm. And it's especially good at handling fear. So, scary dog bark when you were little? Uh. It happened in the amygdala. Yes. <laughs> this almond-shaped part. Get lost at the supermarket? Amygdala. <laughs> Car accident? Amygdala. Yeah. 
So there's this amygdala part of your brain that deals with emotions and fear. It's like the fight or flight response. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely associated with that. Mm-hmm. Because your brain's primary job is to keep you alive. Yes. Right? That's important. It really wants you to live. Yeah. So a little bit of fear is good if it keeps you out of a dangerous situation. Yeah. But in the same way that you can remember getting ice cream, you can also reconstruct a memory of getting lost at the store. But too much trauma and you overload the hippocampus that timestamps the memory and the amygdala has to take over. And the amygdala doesn't timestamp things. It just Mm -hmm. associates an emotion with it. Ah. Yeah. So if you've ever been in a really traumatic event, there isn't really a timestamp for that event. So it can haunt you and linger for you. Forever. And this is a really interesting theory. Before Kyle put this segment together, guys, I had never thought about this aspect of it, of the fact that the hippocampus encodes time and the amygdala can right. overwrite that um, function of the hippocampus. This is really fascinating yeah, work so if, that's being explored. Yep. If you don't have a timestamp associated with something like a very traumatic event, you're always going to be a little bit on red alert. And, and like the smallest cue, cue can trigger this really big response that make you think that you're literally still there in that traumatic event. Right, that visceral, emotional, like, I know this isn't happening now logically, but I'm feeling Mm -hmm. like I'm I'm feeling as if I'm experiencing it all over again, which is not how all memories are. It's only very certain memories that have that really high amygdala response. And so, like, for example, when I was, like, six years old, I was at a dog park next to my house, and I had a big stick that I was so proud of, and I went over to run to my dad oh, no. and show him this big stick that I found. But the oh, dog also really liked this. the big stick. Oh, my goodness. And I couldn't think to let go of the stick, yeah. so I got chased down by this big dog. Oh. And it didn't hurt me, but I was terrified. Scared, That's yeah. really scary. And so psychologists call this effect PTSD. So whenever I see big dogs and it, like, kind of hesitates for a moment, I go back to that six-year-old me running through the park with this big stick and mm-hmm. getting trampled over by this dog. Mm-hmm. And so people who experience trauma are essentially reliving that trauma over and over again, even to some small extent. And so um, just like this hippocampus timestamps things and makes sure everything is in an orderly fashion. Right. It's like a file cabinet, like, okay, this goes here, next this one, like consecutively through time, it nicely organizes things. The amygdala has no such organizational system. It's just like... Oh, you want to remember this? Have the full experience. Yeah, it's associating all these emotions with it. When you have people who are diagnosed with PTSD who have gone through a significant trauma, Mm -hmm. like sexual abuse or have been overseas, this is something that definitely... Yeah, exactly. Hap- the amygdala takes over. And they describe and it in fight way. or flight. Yeah. Even so, though you're removed from the context. Mm-hmm. So the hippocampus is really important for organizing all of your memories. And because the hippocampus is part of your brain, your brain is made of cells, the cells have proteins in them. If the proteins get folded badly and disorganized, then they can kind of clump up and get things kind of chunky and weird inside your they brain. They clog up your brain. Right. And, and uh, this first happens in the hippocampus as you grow up, which is why Alzheimer's patients often begin to lose their memories mm-hmm. because of the like, sort of like misfolding and clumping up of proteins in the hippocampus. Yes, that are really essential for those time-stamped memories. That, that, that nice organizational system, it's kind of like someone's rifling through and just randomly chugging things out yeah. or putting them in the wrong place and ruining that really nice system that your brain had organized because there's just so much clutter now. Yeah. The exact cause of Alzheimer's is still up for debate, but mm-hmm. scientists have been observing this weird phenomenon of these proteins that are misfolded in 
the brains of both animal models with Alzheimer's and human brains that have been donated to science. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think studying memory is a really cool way of highlighting how your brain is composed of different parts and how those different parts form a constellation yes. yeah. of interactions. Yeah. yeah. And that's also, the back to the Alzheimer's things, they think that that's in part why sleep is so essential is it helps clear out some of the the like byproducts that your brain creates during the day. Awake. Mm -hmm. um, so it helps kind of clear out the, the pores of your brain, if you can think of it that way, that makes everything a little bit smoother and, and less clogged. So Exfoliating your mind. Yes. So <laughs> it's really important to get to get sleep. But all of this stuff is like really associated with, with memory and, and so much of who we are is built on what we experience and what we remember. And so our ability to adapt yes, is dependent on memory. To learn from our experiences. Yeah. So all of this is super essential to us as human beings. I mean, we're these big brainy protein filled <laughs> water bags, right? <laughs> so <laughs> we rely on this kind of stuff, but it's still a lot of it uh, a mystery. Yeah. So another great area of, of research that I'm super thankful that there are people who are, are looking into this kind of stuff because we need to know more. We need to know more about yeah. how this is happening and how we're storing these memories and why things go wrong um, when they do go wrong. So thank you to all those scientists studying this kind of stuff. It's super essential. So a little bit of a quieter note to end on, but I think, I mean, for me personally, like I have a grandmother who's been in the advanced stages of Alzheimer's um, for, for quite a few years. And so I've kind of seen that process. And I know a lot of people have uh, an immediate or pretty close family member or friend that they know has gone through yeah. a similar experience. So it's definitely something that a lot of us end up encountering. We're touched by yeah. our lives and influenced by it. So it's it's important to be thinking about this and thinking about, you know, why why is this happening? And I think a lot of our listeners can can probably relate to hearing this story and, and understanding like, oh, yeah, that yeah, I've kind of had that experience or seen that firsthand mm -hmm. kind of thing. So we're working on understanding the cause and how the best ways to intervene. Yes. So it's not the science fiction scary thing of like, we want to change your memories yeah. or put false memories or erase memories. We just want to understand how they why, work. Mm -hmm. yeah, how it works, what, how it's working and why people, some people lose their memories and, mm -hmm. and have these diseases like Alzheimer's. Yeah. Okay. So on that... A little bit somber note. Yeah. Let's let's kind of switch over to our our lifting the veil segment. Um, what's what's what do you guys have upcoming? What's on the horizon? What's maybe something a little cheerier, not so somber? Um, well, um, I my boss is really excited about this one aspect of my project. Ooh. That's always good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really good. And I find that often in grad school, you just do a thousand things, and it's hard to tell from the onset what your advisor will find interesting. Mm -hmm. What but, will bear fruit. Right. And so I, I, sort of this game you play where you have to go into a bunch of different projects at once. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, I know in a previous episode I was talking about this turtle race and I think one of the turtles is coming up ahead. Good. <laughs> nice. Um, and it's, it's a project that's near and dear to me because um, it involves a lot of computer programming. It involves a lot of uh, theory. And I, I find that I find myself doing those types of projects more because mm -hmm. I have another kind of more like bioengineering project. And I don't find myself doing like the bioengineering. I know the students are really into like the mechanisms mm -hmm. and like doing things just for the sheer coolness of it. 
But um, I'm really into academic BS and like, going into <laughs> theories and equations and predicting things. Mm -hmm. Nice. So I'm grateful that my boss has picked up on this particular project that suits me really well. Yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful is yeah. when you're both your interests align and yeah. it's something that you're interested and passionate about working on, but they also are so that they're there to support you mm -hmm. rather than kind of being like, eh, you can do that. I yeah. don't really care about it. So yeah. that's that's the ideal end goal is to have at least one project where you can come together and, and collaborate. Both and be super learn excited. From it. Yeah. yeah. Well, on my end, we've got a grant in the works that my PI is also really excited about, and I'm going to be helping with it, and I'm really excited as well. It's, I think, something that when the results start coming, I'm claiming it, that it will get funded and we'll get some work done on it, mm -hmm. that it, it could change the way we think about how sleep influences how we solve problems mm -hmm. in our everyday lives. Right. And also along the way, so there's been a lot of struggle going on, as I mentioned. <laughs> I've probably mentioned in previous episodes, maybe every single episode. But mm. getting joining this lab has been a really interesting experience because it's one of the first times where I really just don't know how to do anything. Mm. So It's a big learning curve. Yeah, yeah, a huge learning curve. So having a project really puts you on a trajectory. It's like, okay, well, I need to learn these different tasks I can become an expert in these different tools to answer these really fascinating questions that I have. So now I now that I'm working on this project, I'll I have somewhat of a trajectory and I I'm a person that really needs some direction. So and I don't like to just be sitting down twiddling my hands. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited about that. And my yeah. boss and everyone else in the lab is excited too. I think oh well, I think early on in your grad career, you're not it's definitely you shouldn't be expected to just do stuff on your own. You're yeah. still you're there to learn a lot, especially a fetus. fetus in research. Yeah, especially at the beginning. It's like, give me a project so that I can at least learn the methodology yeah. and how everything works. And yeah. then as I work on this one project, that'll probably give me ideas mm -hmm. on other questions. And then yeah. I have the exactly. toolkit to, to go answer those questions. Yeah, I'm pretty far yeah. through and there's no sympathy for me. <laughs> it's the answer is always you should know how to do this. Yeah. If you don't, you should know how to know how to do yeah. this. You should yeah, be yeah, able yeah. to figure out how to figure figure out what yep. you need to do. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. But if you're not confused or feeling challenged, then you're doing something wrong as a graduate student. Right. You this should is definitely all, be curious. It's all about exploring. growth. Yeah. Growth as a scientist and yeah. a researcher. So definitely, I mean, I, I have had similar feelings. I was lucky enough to come in with a project to work on for the start of my PhD. And oh. so I was just like, let me just do this and learn the methodology. And then, uh, okay, now that I've done this and helped collect data, okay, now I can kind of like find my own path yeah. using what I've learned. Um, but definitely some kind of direction is really helpful at the beginning mm -hmm. just to so you're not there twiddling your thumbs, being like, I, I'm lost. I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Um, for me, um, well, the quarter is rapidly running its course, which is terrifying. Um, <laughs> I don't know where the year has gone, but um, I'm going to see some family uh, next week, which is exciting. So I'm going to go and see my dad and maybe my cousins, um, have a little bit of downtime uh, <laughs> before the, the final finale of the quarter mm. um, and all the stress and work that that entails. Um, Still need to do a lot of data collection for my project, but that'll never ending. Uh, yeah, that's always going to be the case. So I, I'm just slowly chugging, plugging away, um, and getting that stuff done. But I'm, I am looking forward to having a little bit of downtown with, with my family. So. Nice. 
Gotta gotta find the balance. Yes. Can't be work, work, work all the time. Yes. So balance is key. Yeah. Well, I think that was all of us. Yeah. So we're thank you again for for joining us today. Hopefully, you learned a lot about memory. Um, maybe some good movie recommendations if you haven't. Hopefully, I didn't spoil your. If you haven't seen those movies, hopefully you either skipped the spoiler section or you're now interested enough to actually go watch one of them yeah. or both of them. Um, we learned a lot about memory today, which is so outside of what I think uh, about from my day-to-day research, but I love learning about this kind of stuff because it's just absolutely fascinating that it's such a central part of our existence and we still really don't know so much about how, like, this is actually working. Mm -hmm. So really interesting stuff, and I hope you enjoyed it today, too. Um, Just as a reminder, you are here with us on Insufficient Facts, and I am Christiane. I'm Raquel. And I'm Kyle. Thanks for joining us on Insufficient Facts today, and we hope you'll join us next time. To keep up with our show, follow us on social media. We are at Insufficient Facts on Instagram and Facebook and at INFPod on Twitter. For bonus content, merch, and to find out how to get our episodes early, visit our website at InsufficientFacts.com. There, you can also find our sources for this episode and additional research for the topics we discussed today. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you'll join us next time. And now, please enjoy the trailer for our sponsor, All In My Head. To listen to their show, visit their website, allinmyheadpod.com. So, Nova, what would you like to talk about today? I just want to get some sleep, Dr. Andrews. Quiet. Quiet. So, sleeping... When we talked on the phone, you told me you suffer from sleep paralysis quite frequently. You aren't real. You aren't real. Keep quiet. Four years. I have to say, that's unprecedented. You you don't exist. When I wake up, you'll be gone. Quiet, little girl. Can't let you scream. You are not real. You're just a bad dream. Quiet! Now, how are you going to fix me? keep up with our show, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All In My Head Pod. For additional content, join us on our website at www.allinmyheadpod.com. <laughs>